Let me run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at legalshield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up! And call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. It's never been more important to diversify your financial portfolio. Well, that's right. The S&P is down 20% from the last year, and this year looks even worse. Gold and precious metals offer a hedge against inflation and stock market volatility. And Legacy Precious Metals is the company Ken and I trust. Protect your retirement account by rolling it into a gold-backed IRA or have metals shipped directly to your door. Call our friends at Legacy Precious Metals today at 866-691-2173. Or visit buylegacygold.com. When it comes to a thriving career, everyone could use a little support, especially when it comes to transitions. At LHH, we're committed to personalized support, insights, and resources that lead to more job opportunities. No matter what role a professional has in your organization, our services offer an experience that fits each individual. And for organizations, LHH provides consultative support and guidance through the entire outplacement or career transition process. It's outplacement reimagined. Visit LHHtalent.com today. Coming up later on this hour, L.A. corruption in government. The wagons are certainly circling around the former L.A. City Councilman Jose Huizar because one of the developers that fed him a bribe, oh, that's the allegation, fed him a bribe, has been found guilty along with his company. It's a real estate development. We'll talk about all that later on in the hour here on the John and Ken Show. But we start with a story I mentioned earlier this week, and we spent some time on after it happened in March of last year. A 31-year-old man by the name of Gabriel, they know him as Gabe Danae, was stabbed to death in his own backyard in the Beverly Grill Grove neighborhood of Los Angeles. It was a transient, a vagrant that did it. A guy by the name of Enoch Connors, who I understand was living out of his car in the neighborhood and was already known to police and to, of course, people in this Beverly Grove neighborhood. But on this particular day, four times, people called 911 to report that he was hopping fences and threatening residents. And according to this lawsuit, every time the police came, they told everyone in the neighborhood, go back into your homes, it's okay. It's a wrongful death lawsuit that has been filed in federal court 
against LAPD. We're going to talk now to Mark Garagas. His law firm is handling the case for the Dene family. Mark, welcome back to the show. Thank you. It's good to talk to you, even yeah. though you're solo today. Even though you're solo today. Yeah, well, you know, we get time off every now and then. We haven't talked to you since all the lockdown mess with the businesses and the restaurants disrupted. That's uh, that's true. In fact, uh, since then, we've had a little bit of success, and I'll come back on a, another day and talk to you about that. All right, that would be great. So uh, now talk about this lawsuit against LAPD and its wrongful death. It's because they're stating basically that their actions the officers' actions amounted to what's called a state that created danger. Describe uh, how this works legally. Yeah, basically what happened is um, you you gave a pretty good synopsis, if you will. The police had been out there, I think, four times total, in total, uh, and uh, basically residents, including the last uh, woman who called 911, who was about 90 feet away from uh, Gabe's location, and the police said, well, they couldn't find him. Well, as it turns out in retrospect, the reason they couldn't find him is he was upstairs, had broken into Gabe's house, was had found two knives in the kitchen, and unfortunately and tragically had uh, stabbed Gabe and then chased him into the backyard and uh, finished the job there. If you can, I mean, just horrid. And, and you know, the, the part of what the problem is, um, and I think, uh, you know, I don't like to, um, uh, you know, pat ourselves on the back, but we described this in great detail in the lawsuit uh, and the complete failure of the police here. And all of the neighbors said that it was spot on in terms of the description of how it's just kind of a you know, stop and wave or, and not do anything. And whether you want to attribute it to being understaffed or, or not being trained adequately, uh, I think it's a complete failure of the system. I, you know, this is not the first time I've encountered this with LAPD. I mean, you probably covered countless times, and I've talked to both sides down in Venice Beach and what has gone on down there. And this is in Beverly Grove. And people who had once considered this a, a very safe neighborhood now don't want to go outside after dark. That encampment over by the sporting goods store is uh, is populated with people who are clearly having mental health problems and mental health issues. And um, instead of characterizing this as a housing crisis the way most of our politicians do it's clear that we've got a mental health crisis on our hands. Uh, LAPD isn't saying much but they're saying well you know when we got there there weren't any neighbors that were willing to press a trespassing case against him we clearly didn't find any witnesses that actually saw him you know jumping into people's backyards is that true that just sounds like from the stories I'm reading that people who called 911 would certainly be there to report what they saw yeah, I mean, if you believed what's being kind of uh, promulgated by the LAPD, you'd have to, the very first question is, if that's the case, why are there four separate 911 calls all complaining and out there and then people being told that the police couldn't do anything when they finally did arrive and that they're, that it's safe to go back into your house? Well, it wasn't tragically, it wasn't safe to go back into your house. That was right back into where the danger was or ended up being his murder. Yeah, I mean, some of the description here, uh, people saw him ripping off his clothes, screaming, threatening people. Couldn't they have at least done one of those mental health holds to take him away for at least a period of time to slow him down? 
by the way, this is exactly what 5150 and 5250, the, you know, the 72 hour hold and then the more extended uh, 15 day hold. This is exactly what they were designed to do. There are others who are smarter than me who think that you need to amend the uh, the Lanterman Petrus Act. But I will tell you right now that they do have tools at their disposal. They just, you know, this is not something that uh, that they are adequately trained for. And frankly, I don't think that they want to deal with it. I mean, it's it's a complete um, breakdown of the system. And what ends up happening, I mean, I'll get on my soapbox a little off, far afield here, but it ends up being characterized as a housing issue. And that's not that's not the yeah. lion's share of what the issues no. are. This isn't this isn't a you know, you can't just say this is a housing issue. This is a mental health issue first and foremost. Yes, it involves people who are unhoused, but it also involves people who are in serious, seriously mental distress. I, I, I'm hoping that if you are able to get this to, you know, civil trial that you can depose people at LAPD and maybe even people in LA government, because you kind of touched on this a few minutes ago, that this was kind of the policy and has been for years, that it's basically hands off with the homeless, even screaming ones who are jumping fences and threatening people, just hands off. We're not going to be able to do anything because these people are suffering from a housing shortage. I, I would love to hear you question people about that kind of policy. That's exactly where we want to go. I mean, I've been screaming, and you know, our offices. Smack dab in downtown L.A. It's ironic that the L.A. Times is covering this because the Times fled downtown L.A. They're in El Segundo. <laughs> they are, now, right. Uh, and, you know, and most of the people in downtown are fleeing um, downtown. This is in Beverly Grove. And clearly it's going to take a tragedy like this to finally get some kind of change because it's easier to just characterize and mischaracterize this as a housing issue. This isn't a housing issue. Um, the the parts of uh, L.A. that are being terrorized, whether it's Venice or Beverly Grove or downtown L.A., and uh, are, are what, what has happened here is what for years was contained in one area has now spread like and metastasized all over Los Angeles. That's the problem. Yeah, it, this reminds me, I'm reading some of the quotes uh, from LAPD here in the story that you're right, the El Segundo Times, that's why we call them the El Segundo Times, wrote about this case concerning their response to this. It reminds me of the L.A. County D.A., George Gascon, who's under a recall, saying basically, oh, we can't predict if somebody's going to be violent. It's just one of those things. It's sort of like they came and they talked to this homeless guy and they decided, despite what he was doing, hopping fences and threatening people, that... He's not really violent. He's just he's suffering from some mental health issues. And I guess the other part of this is maybe they should have used somebody besides police officers to come here and deal with this. This seems to be their way they're moving now to take LAPD off of these calls when it comes to the mentally ill homeless people and send in like uh, mental health workers. Well, you know, the I just came back from New York last month and the new mayor there has got a kind of a strike force where he sends out police, a mental health professional, and a social worker. And basically, you've got three options. You either go to jail, you go to the hospital, or you go get housed if you're appropriate. So there aren't any excuses. And um, and we just aren't smart enough. And we've been, um, as a community, I mean, and I lay it at, you know, people want to blame uh, Gascon fully for this. I mean, I can chart the decline of the city of L.A. 
to Mayor Garcetti. I mean, it's yes. a pretty simple. It's a pretty simple chart. I've been in downtown. Was born downtown. I went to law school downtown. I've watched downtown deteriorate since he became mayor. And uh, you know, he's on his way out the door. And if people really want to say, to lay blame somewhere, I mean, that's where it begins. He's the one sets the tone. He's the one who's basically abandoned the city for whatever he's wanted to do. And mind you, I was the guy who supported him originally. So, you know, mea culpa as well. Well, Mark, our best of the Dene family, they're quoted here as saying they don't know whether or not this lawsuit's going to succeed, but nothing's changed since the death of Gabe, and they want to try to make uh, some impact. That's exactly why we took the case. All right, Mark Garagos, thanks for talking to me. Thank you. Bye-bye. Uh, all right, Mark Garagos, boy. Come a long way since the days of Scott Peterson and his appearance on our show. But anyway, uh, his firm is handling the case of the family of Gabe Dene. He was a resident of uh, Beverly Grove, stabbed to death in his own backyard by a homeless guy who had been threatening the neighborhood and residents. There were four 911 calls the day that Gabe was stabbed to death. And I want to go through them when we come back just to show you how extreme this problem is. But as soon as I do return, right? You have a chance at money. We've got another keyword. All you have to do is enter the keyword at the website to possibly win the money. John and Ken show on KFI AM 640. All right, so let's talk about this uh, lawsuit against LAPD. It's the second one this week I'm talking about. We'll have an update on another one coming later. This is wrongful death. Uh, back at uh, March 29th last year, a man by the name of Gabe Dene, just 31 years old, was stabbed to death by a homeless man in his own backyard in the Beverly Grove neighborhood of Los Angeles. Mark Garagos, representing the family, was just on to talk about the wrongful death lawsuit. It's a long shot because, you know, there's a lot of indemnity when it comes to police response. But I hope there's something they can get out of it. And the family says, since nothing's changed, that's why we're going to do this. And the reason that they filed this suit is the series of 911 calls that were made to LAPD the day that Gabe was stabbed to death. And I'm going to go through them. And it's kind of remarkable, although it comes from the lawsuit, that the El Segundo Times actually did this story, although they're not fans of LAPD, so maybe that explains half of it. Um, somebody in the neighborhood made the first 911 call at about 1.32 p.m. This is back on March 29th of last year. This vagrant, Enoch Connors, climbed over a wall into a man's backyard and scared him. Scared him, his girlfriend, and his girlfriend's mother. So that was the first call, 1.32 p.m. According to the lawsuit, the cops show up about a half an hour later. They talk to Connors and they release him irresponsibly, says the lawsuit. Maybe I'll let the first 911 call go, but they're probably already familiar with this guy. Less than an hour later, another man with a business in the neighborhood saw Connors disappear through a set of bushes into the adjacent property of another homeowner, then reappear holding a large rock. This business owner made the second 911 call about Connors, okay? Twice within an hour. 30 minutes later, two other residents hear Connors screaming. One confronts him and told, tells him to leave the property. At 3.45 p.m., three residents saw LAPD cops talking to Connors again. And according to the suit, one cop tells one of the residents that, yeah, he's mentally ill. We'll handle this. You should all go home. They release Connors for the second time. At 4.15 p.m., another neighbor, this one named Claudia Beaton, 
was told by a passing Uber driver that some guy was scaling walls, jumping fences. She called 911 as well. A dispatcher told her that the police couldn't do anything unless Connors was currently in her yard. Then sent her over to a non-emergency line. Soon after, Connors did enter her yard. She and her husband yelled loudly at him to leave while warning other neighbors. At 4.35 p.m., the cops arrive for a third time, conduct a brief and superficial search for Connors before telling Beaton, don't worry, the area is secure. We're leaving again. Five minutes later, and this is what Mark Garagos was talking about, the last 911 call, uh, this Connors enters uh, Donay's home and he attacked him with a knife as Donay tried to run from the home. There was a blood trail down the stairs through a hallway and outside and Connors stabbed Donay repeatedly in the backyard and then leapt the fence into another yard and disappeared. The roommate cradled Mr. Donay as he died from his wounds, 10 stab wounds, more than 20 other cuts to his body. I mean, you've got to be kidding me. And, you know, the response is going to be, well, you know, what can we do? And the official police response was nobody wanted to testify that they witnessed him trespassing. I mean, you got all these 911 calls and they're talking to people. This guy's apparently been in the neighborhood for a while. Not all homeless people are mentally ill and not all mentally ill people are violent. But the way this guy was acting, at least on this particular day, he should have been hauled away under any pretense they could make up. Let the ACLU come down there and try to get him out. Take this guy away for as long as you can. So I wish them luck on their lawsuit because uh, I believe this policy comes from the top down. That basically, because this is a housing issue, we have to leave these people alone. And particularly emboldened by the whole COVID lockdown nonsense, they completely were hands off. All right, we got more coming up on the John and Ken Show. Oh, yeah, Los Angeles City government corruption. Well, yesterday, word came down that, what do you know, a real estate developer has been found guilty in a bribe case involving the former Los Angeles City Councilman Jose Huizar, who is expecting his own trial to begin next year. What do you know? Corrupt politicians taking bribes. Hmm, really a shocker in the world of politics. We're going to talk now more about it from Daniel Gus, the Gus Report. Welcome back to the show, Daniel. Hey, Ken, how are you? And thank you for having me back. Yeah, no problem. So this involves a developer who's known simply by the name David Lee. His name was Dayong Lee. And um, right. he wanted to get, uh, I guess, a 20-story tower built in downtown L.A., but there was uh, something in the way, huh? Yeah, union opposition, a politically connected union opposition that had to be uh, taken care of one way or the other. And uh, the fixer for City Hall was one Jose Wizar, council member at the time of the uh, area in downtown L.A. Right. So the allegation is that uh, a deal was made if money was funneled through middlemen mm -hmm. to Wizar, that Wizar would help pave the way for the project. Right. And uh, there's no honor among thieves when the uh, federal prosecutors and the FBI step in and they're the real heroes here. Um, so no honor among thieves. It was uh, a guy by the name of Justin Kim working on behalf of uh, David Lee and a guy by the name of George Esparza working on behalf of Jose Huizar, both of whom were paid with our tax dollars. And so they were all basically playing hot potato 
with uh, a big box of hundreds, uh, uh, $100 bills, thousands of them, apparently. And now, did the money actually make its way to Weezar from his middleman? Did they get proof of that? <laughs> well, you know, just like rats, every time a rat passes cheese, each rat takes a bite. So <laughs> I don't know how much reached from David Lee to Jose Weezar because apparently uh, Justin Kim took a few nibbles. And George Esparza took a few nibbles. And who knows who else was nibbling at it along the way. So apparently a lot of it did reach Weezor, but not what was in the box at the beginning of the, uh, of the transfer of those uh, $100 bills. Yeah, so the middleman, I mean, Esparza's pled guilty already. That was uh, Weezor's middleman. That's really bad news for him. Did Kim also, does he still have a case coming up or did he plead guilty? He's the middleman for the business. Uh, no, According to the L.A. Times, David Zonizer, who's the L.A. Times point person on this, uh, both Kim and Esparza are waiting, awaiting sentencing. And obviously their sentencing is going to depend a lot on how good the dirt they have uh, is and how, uh, how uh, reliable they are as witnesses. But they are the middlemen. And, and the middlemen, you know, why, why, would, why would they sacrifice their lives? Uh, they're already in enough trouble. Uh, you know, when, you're, when, you're, when you've dug yourself a hole, stop digging and try to climb out. Yeah, and I suppose, from what I understand, the defense for David Lee, the real estate developer who paid the five hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollar cash bribe, was that um, it, the middlemen conspired to do this on their own. Is that sort of what he was saying? Yeah, right. What's the phrase here? Uh, something about uh, well, now he's willing to do or say anything to save himself, according to uh, a certain defense attorney. Uh, but uh, he's a businessman. He just trusted the wrong person, uh, David Lee. So, no, 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 no. You, you don't become the CEO of a company and then you're the victim of the middleman. That isn't going to fly. <laughs> well, it didn't work for Lee. It, it, it's not going to work for Weezer either. I don't I, I have my own theories as to why Weezer is holding out. Yeah, well, we'll get to that in a moment. But Justin Kim, I want to talk about this guy. He's the political fixer and campaign mm-hmm. fundraiser. And he picked up the cash from Lee. And he gave it to this aide to Weezar, Esparza. So what, Lee mm-hmm. is telling us, oh, I didn't know he was going to do this. Then what did you think the $500,000 was for? Yeah, I think, what, was it, what, what did they say that, uh, that uh, well, you know, it, it, it's all speculation on, on what, like, like consulting fees, like legitimate <laughs> consulting fees? <laughs> Come on. Yeah. Come on. You're going to tell that to a federal judge? Yeah, so, <laughs> so Weezar's. Federal, federal judges don't mess around on that stuff. You think Weezar's got a plea here? Because this this, this is, does not look good for this guy. I well, here's the here's the tragedy about Jose Weezar. He is 25 years as his his wife, Rochelle Rios Weezar. They're both 25 years out of UCLA Law School. They should be rolling in good, honest, hard-earned money. He should have been running for mayor this year by now. And then governor or whatever. His story, everything on paper, said it was going to be this guy is the future. Total, uh, uh, you know, immigrant success story. Uh, and so what was the plan there? I, I don't know what they were thinking. I can't imagine a guy like Weezar who went to Berkeley, who went to Princeton, who went to UCLA Law and passed the bar. I can't believe he's smart enough to graduate from all three of those schools and dumb enough not to play this hand because his whole life depends on this hand he's in his early 50s and his life depends on this if he goes to trial he's not as smart as i think that he is 
Let me ask you this, too. Is, was this this case or another case where Weezar was spotted with the poker chips in Vegas? Is that another bribe case? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think that's the one that's coming up. Um, I believe that's the one that's coming up against Shenzhen. Now, that's a story that I wrote about four years ago for City Watch L.A. And, yeah, and, and, and again, on paper, Weezar is this very successful, intelligent, studious guy. But he's playing in the high-stakes uh, suites of, of these elegant Vegas casinos and with this billionaire in, in, a, in a room that only billionaires can play in or rock stars can play in. And Weezar, who makes about or made about $200,000 a year, is playing with, with $500,000 and $1,000 and $5,000 chips. And, and thank God for the, for the security people at the Vegas hotels said, wait a minute, this is what's called a politically exposed person. They recognize Weezar. And they, you know, when the billionaire stepped aside, they asked him to, to, to sign a declaration. Weezar is an attorney, and he knew not to sign it, which he said he's gambling with his own money because the Vegas, uh, the Vegas Gambling Commission would shut down a casino right away if they found out that a, that a high-end casino uh, was allowing a politically exposed person to bet way more than their income would suggest. So, uh, you know, so, yeah, so they're, they're playing with money that he clearly didn't earn uh, with people who ha- whose money obviously seemed to be. So, so yeah, I think, I think that's the one that's coming up next. And I predicted that uh, uh, trial, which is coming up soon, I predicted that in a City Watch article dated November 19, 2018, because the FBI, you heard about their raid of Weezar's office and of yeah. Weezar's home. But you haven't heard about this other raid that the FBI did in a uh, office building uh, about a, a mile away from City Hall, where um, I believe the theory of what went on there is called concealed occupancy, where there's an, uh, a, an entity, a business or some sort of uh, a shell company that appeared to be operating in a high rise near downtown L.A. Uh, I went to the building very innocuously. And uh, the lobby of this other uh, high rise in downtown L.A. doesn't have security at the front desk. So because there wasn't, I took a photo of every name in the directory and I wanted to see are those suites that are empty actually occupied. And there did appear to be um, some sort of business in suites in this high rise near City Hall that wasn't listed on the building directory. And I think that's where the next trial is coming up against, the, uh, against Shenzhen, whose CEO is apparently a fugitive now, according to the LA Times. All right, Daniel, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks a lot for coming on. Thank you for having me. Anytime, sir. All right, Daniel Gus, the Gus Report really knows LA politics inside and out. We're talking to him about this former LA City Councilman, Jose Huizar, who apparently didn't think he was making enough money so he was taking bribes, and uh, he's got a trial coming up, but one of the real estate developers who did bribe him has been found guilty. More coming up on the John and Ken Show here on KFI. Deborah Mark, you're a resident of the city of Los Angeles. Yes, I am. Well, where is the tree you're supposed to plant? I, mm, yeah. I haven't gotten to that yet. Back in 2006, when Tony Villar was the mayor, there was a plan to plant a million trees. We had one of the top aides to Tony Villar on the show. Oh, no, that was the pothole program. Uh, anyway, they came up way short. A million trees in the city of L.A. to be planted. Come on, according, let's go. Yeah, according to the El Segundo Times, 
by April 2013, seven years later, they did plant a little more than 400,000. But I remember when we did this story because I don't think we covered it for that many years, but they were way short of the goal. The goal this time, which was supposed to be by the year 2021, LA's Green New Deal and this horrific mayor that Los Angeles has, Eric Garcetti, was to plant 90,000 trees. So I ask again, Deborah Mark, did you plant a tree? I, I didn't plant a tree, but I planted flowers and succulents no. and a, we, no, a the garden. Trees, the tree is the canopy to protect people from the horrific damage of climate change. Trees are tall with lots of leafy blockage. Your little flowers aren't going to help. Yeah. Um, so I feel bad for you. So to date, well, you're not the only one, 65,000 trees have been planted. So it's a year after the goal, and uh, there are 25,000 trees short of the goal. And the program, by the way, to get this done, he actually uh, appointed a woman. I think we talked about this at the time. They contracted with a company called City Plants to work with community organizations and nonprofits to get the trees planted and cared for. And and Garcetti actually appointed a woman to be in charge of this tree program. They created a tree ambassador program last year to find leaders in, uh, here we are, It's even with the trees, it's about equity. Historically disadvantaged neighborhoods and assist them in planting and caring for trees in their community. Uh, this began in September of last year, and so far they've planted 400 trees. How they're framing this now is that it's not so much about hitting 90,000 trees, but it's about planting as many trees as we can in the historically disadvantaged neighborhoods who are going to suffer the most from the climate. You see, Deborah Mark probably lives in a leafy, green, <laughs> abundant suburban neighborhood. But, you know, in some sections of L.A. that are all cement, what they'd like to do is you know, tear up a portion and stick a tree in there. And, of course, what we've learned over the years in L.A. is that the tree roots eventually expand, tear up the sidewalk, and create a hazard for anybody trying to get around. I have seen that in so many L.A. neighborhoods, what the tree roots have done to the sidewalks. Oh, I've tripped before. Oh, it's horrible. I couldn't even imagine. Some people ride bicycles over them. I'm surprised they didn't break their necks going into that. So they came up with all of this bureaucracy to plant trees because of this obsession over climate change. The thing I found interesting, and here's how it works. You can request a street tree, but you have to plant it in the public right away and have to sign a commitment to water form. Promising to care for the tree for the first three to five years of life, which means a deep watering of 10 to 15 gallons of water once a week using a hose or a bucket. I thought we're in a water crisis. I was going to say, how are we going to do that? You can't be out there watering trees and take up 10 to 15 gallons a week. No way. No way. After the three-year mark, the trees will become the responsibility of something called the Urban Forestry Division. So... Once again, playing at the margins. I mean, honestly, this is another dopey Eric Garcetti legacy, which he actually picked up from the previous mayor, Tony Villar, about planting trees 
to save L.A. from climate change. Yeah, her name is a forest officer. That's right. L.A.'s first forest officer is Rachel Malarich, who heads the Urban Forestry Division. Oh, I should look up what she makes. The city authorized a network of nonprofits and then these community ambassadors to aid and encourage residents to plant the much-needed trees. All right, when I come back, we'll talk about the horror that uh, was discovered down in Texas, in San Antonio. 48 people were found dead in the back of a tractor trailer. These are migrants getting into the United States. Alex Stone will have the latest on the story after the news. KFI AM640, The John and Ken Show, and Deborah Mark has the news now. Hey, Ken, did you know that gold is the only currency that's held its value since the dawn of money? Well, I did. Thanks to our friends at Legacy Precious Metals, the most trusted name in gold investing. Investing in gold protects you against inflation and gives you a hedge against stock market volatility. Don't leave your retirement to chance. Call Legacy Precious Metals today at 866-691-2173. Or download your free investor's guide now at buylegacygold.com. That's buylegacygold.com. We think your music should play nonstop. Ironically, we're stopping it to tell you that Southwest has the most nonstop flights in California. We also think changing your travel plans should be as easy as changing songs. That's why we don't charge you change or cancel fees. When you're ready to go, go with heart. Book now at Southwest.com. Based on total number of DOT published nonstop flights to and from California from the period from 2-1-2023 to 8-14-2023 compared to all other airlines as of 1-20-2023. No change fees, but fair difference may apply. Failure to cancel a reservation at least 10 minutes prior to scheduled departure may result in forfeited travel funds. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Let me run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? It's estimated over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. To save, visit HealthLock.com today.